following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Amen, amen. Thank you, Rebecca. All right, we uh, jumped into James last week, and we're going to continue on this week with uh, the series that we call Dirty Faith. So let's look now at James chapter 1. And uh, I'll begin reading in verse uh, 2 through 18. It's the very word of God. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then uh, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Pray with me. Father, we, or excuse me, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray together. God, you're good. Uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and we need your word in the midst of the trials and the suffering and the chaos that is our lives. Father, I pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would help us to see how to count it pure joy. Oh God, give us a different perspective. Show us the hope that we have. Grant us wisdom for your glory and for our good, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I read about uh, a man recently that uh, got out of prison after a three-year stint, and his first meal was pizza. It's what he wanted. He wanted pizza. And as I read about that, I thought, I don't know that that would have been my first meal. However, I hadn't been what he had been through. You see, suffering has a way of giving us perspective. And that's what James is telling us right off the bat. 
we saw last week that indeed he's speaking to people who are in the dispersion, who are suffering trials of many kinds, and he's speaking through them to us because he said, you're going to face trials, brothers, of many kinds. And so we will face trials, and therefore James tells us that we need wisdom. We need wisdom from God. We need a different perspective that will produce a different outlook. We need wisdom from God that will keep us from being bitter and make us better. We need, let me say it again, we need, we need the wisdom of God that will take us from being bitter, turned into being bitter by our trials, to being better. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he has done something for us. That's what James says in chapter, excuse me, uh, verse 18, the very last verse. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. This Greek word translated brought us forth means to be brought into being as something newly created. Dear friends, if you are in Christ this morning, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The old way of looking at life, the old way of doing life is gone, and we have a radically different way of looking at life from a totally different perspective that gives us power to have joy in the midst of suffering and not be joylessness, to have hope and not hopelessness, to be encouraged and not discouraged, to have light and not darkness. And friends, I don't know about you, but I desperately need this message. <laughs> and so let's dive into it. And the first thing that we see is that God-gifted wisdom sees value in trials. God-gifted wisdom allows us to embrace the, the circumstances that we presently experience, seeing that indeed there is purpose to them. As I was thinking about this passage, I jumped over to Facebook and saw our own local theologian and uh, history teacher, Daniel Warner, had made a brilliant post uh, on Facebook. He is a U.S. history teacher at East High School, and he was talking about and addressing the reality that so many of his students through the years um, have said, oh, I don't have time to do my homework, or you know, homework really doesn't have any value for me. And so he came up with this practice. He said, okay, here's, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to look at your cell phone and tell me how many hours you've spent a day on your cell phone. Because your cell phone will tell you that, you know. And they were like, okay, okay, you got me. And he said, okay, and now that you know you have the time, here's what I want you to do next. I want you to get to the timer, and I want you to set it for 15 minutes. Put it to the side, and then, then he writes this. Then I advise saying this week's U.S. history key terms aloud and reciting their definitions. Or it could be making flashcards or seeing if you can put the key terms into a story. Maybe making a timeline to arrange the ideas. I promise them that they'll think their phone broke and that it's uh, been at least 45 minutes of endless studying but they'll flip it back over to check, and the timer will say eight minutes left. It turns out lots of kids try it and slowly build their concentration from 15 minutes to 20 to 30 and so on. And then he says this, because studying 
isn't so much about your method as it is about giving something your full attention. Friends, trials, the purpose of trials in our lives is to get our attention. You see, life can be a distraction. Trials can be a distraction. The the circumstances of life can get us off point, can get us off center, but what God is doing is trying to get us back to the center by stripping away the things that that we don't have to have to get us back to the thing that we must have, and his name is Jesus. You see, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. What is steadfastness? This Greek word, um, steadfastness, is uh, um, it's an interesting term that means it's the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. And the only way to gain steadfastness is to go through something. There's no other way to gain steadfastness but trials and suffering. And the only way that we can become steadfast is by exercising that muscle. And so can you begin to see how God is good in allowing bad things to come our way, trials and suffering to come our way? And we're going to elaborate on that in a minute. But you see, steadfastness is a key term. I've worked through the Psalms every year, and and I've noticed this word this year over and over again, steadfastness, steadfastness. What is it? It's not just some term completely disassociated with Christ and with God. It is being steadfast because our hearts and our minds are anchored in Him. It is a result of being, you say, Richard, I don't see that in the passage. Right, remember, last week we said this is wisdom literature. This is not James um, defending the, the validity of the gospel. This is James assuming that we believe the gospel, and he is putting the gospel into practice. What, do, what is the benefit of trusting Jesus when life is falling apart? Oh, you will develop steadfastness. And friends, if we have steadfastness, then it doesn't matter what comes our way. Uh, Hurricane Ida, 140-mile-an-hour winds bearing down to us a Cat 5, and we can say, oh, you can't move me off center. Why? Because I have developed steadfastness because I have been through some stuff. And, And I've been through some stuff, and I've been drawn back to Jesus over and over and over again, and I'm convinced that he is more than able to sustain me no matter what I'm facing, steadfastness. You see, wisdom drives us to this reality that Jesus is enough. And if you're not a believer here this morning, you may may have a tendency to say, I'm just going to tune this off. No, I'm I'm giving the benefit. I'm giving, actually, James is. I wish I could take credit. (laughs) James is giving up the benefit, the practical benefit. You know, rubber beats the road, dirty kind of faith, right here in the midst of whatever you're facing, wherever your heart is, James is getting right there. And he's saying, oh, this is the benefit of trusting Christ. It's not some pie in the sky by and by. It It meets you right where you are, right in the midst of your pain. The wise man, um sees value in trials. But secondly, the wise man knows where to go for wisdom. I marvel at God's timing. (laughs) 
I, I did not choose this book. Michael Davis chose this book for, for this preaching series. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't tell Michael this, but I really didn't want to do this. I, I didn't want to go to James, but I, I'm, I'm such a submissive man, and I'm so easy uh, to lead um, that I said yes. I did do the preaching uh, calendar, and I have me up for this week, and I had no idea. You know, I just, just okay, I've got a preaching calendar here, my name here, da 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 Folks, I had no idea what I was going to be going through when I was preaching this sermon. But, and I've said it before, and you, most of you know what I'm going through, uh, what Rachel and I are going through. Uh, my mother is late-stage dementia, um, still in her apartment with my stepfather. And it's been a rough week. Friday was especially rough. I met some men at about 6 a.m. Uh, we're going through a book together. And we didn't sit down. I think at 6.15, I got the first call from a neighbor telling me what was going on. My mother was out of her mind, out of her apartment, trying to get. She actually went into somebody's apartment. Thank God it was a neighbor that I know, a strong believer. She called me. So right after that, I drove out there, got everything settled, fixed breakfast, you know. Um, numerous calls throughout the day from my stepfather how do I handle this? Put her on the phone, trying to calm my mother down. 6.30 at night, I finally, whew, been a rough day. Another neighbor calls. I'm out there fixing dinner, calling different friends, trying to get resources, trying to figure out what the next step. Um, my heart just breaking. And do you think God didn't know that? <laughs> because as I'm doing that, all I can think of is Count it all joy, my brothers. <laughs> when you face trials of many times or many kinds, and this is on top of the pandemic. This is on top of that, you know, worldwide pandemic and trying to recreate church a year and a half ago to live stream and all the transition that we've been through. And yet what God is doing through this and through these circumstances, I don't think he could do in any other way. He could not. I am such a control. My default is control. When I face a challenge, I don't sit under the tree. I, I go at it. I try to figure it out. I try to get advice, and we break through it. And I can't break through this. I can't fix this. <laughs> There's nothing I can do. Ah, but cry out to God. And friends, it's beautiful. Psalm 62 is where I keep coming back. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. Oh, that's where maybe the day starts. But by the middle of the day, I'm at verses 5 through 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. Isn't that beautiful? I love this psalm. So that's right where we live. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. I have to preach it to myself. For my hope, my hope is not better care for my mother. My hope is not more money to find more. My hope is not. My hope is not the change of circumstances. My hope comes from God. And that is the purpose of trials. 
It's like when we're falling, we have to grab something. And for the Christian, we have to grab onto Jesus. But more importantly, we have to see that he's already grabbed onto us. And that is the purpose of trials. It is to, it, it is to take all the, the false trust away, even the good things that we might draw near to him. And we need this, especially in our day. C.S. Lewis, way before his time, said this. He said, of old, back in the old days, I guess that was the 1920s, 30s, whatever, uh, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, discipline, and virtue. But for the modern mind, in the 1950s, I guess, um, the cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to our wishes. And the solution is a technique. It's brilliant. Take a picture of that quote, or I'll, I'll email it to you. You can think about this for days. I have. Because what Lewis is saying is very clear. He's saying, look, in a scientific age, um, you know, we just kind of assume that we can solve it, but science has, has overpromised. Science, there, there's no cure for dementia. <laughs> you know, uh, there's kind of a cure for COVID. Oh, we got that solved. Well, guess what? Delta variant. No, you don't. Oh, okay, we're just going to get out of Afghanistan. Oh, maybe you're not. Uh, the world doesn't work, and yet something inside of us, that's what we see happening on social media and in the news. There's this cry, there's somebody to blame. So take somebody's job, somebody to blame. Why haven't you fixed COVID, medical community? Oh, okay, you fixed COVID. Well, we don't want how you fixed it. I mean, it, it's, it's ludicrous. Why? Because we just assume there's going to be an answer. We assume that we're in control. And what God is telling us over and over and over and over and over again is you are not in control. And it's only when you understand that, that the freedom of understanding that I am in control is really um, a valuable and beautiful and worthwhile reality. Eugene Peterson put it like this. I love this. The way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings. Only when I'm in my car driving the 30 minutes to my parents or driving back, questioning, understanding, praying, thinking on Scripture, meditating, what is, all, what is going on here? Following Jesus. This is the beauty of it. Um, in the pauses and reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with Him. Jesus said this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But it's not a formula. That's the whole part of the next several verses, but don't doubt, because if one who doubts is a double-minded man. And, it, and, and we take that, oh, that's a formula, so I've got I've to ask, ask with faith, and it must be I don't have enough faith. That's why God's not answering. No, he's saying it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong prayer. It's not a one-time, give me wisdom, boom, there it is, now I'm a wise man. No, when you die, then you're wise. <laughs> well, then it's over. 
But in the meantime, it's a little bit here, it's a little bit there. It's a little step forward, maybe a little step back. Proverbs points to this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom from the upright. But if I were completing that, the point is, but he dispenses it in small amounts over time through the decades until the end. It's a lifelong pursuit of wisdom. And the wise man knows to go to God to get it. How often are you going to God in the midst of your suffering? Friend, it's only when you go there that you begin to find the wisdom and you begin to get help. But thirdly, the wise man knows where, maybe how, not to go. And there's really two ways not to go. And the first is money. We don't go to money. That's the whole thing about, okay, the, the poor man should just praise God, but the rich man, you know, in his humiliation, um, you know, is just going to fade away. This is the whole point. You can't trust your rich. Money won't get you out of trials. It'll soften a lot of circumstances, but I think what we're seeing right now, real suffering, the kind of stuff that's, that's hitting our world, money can't buy. Tim Keller was commenting on a sermon that he um, read of Jonathan Edwards, and he said this. Uh, Keller is saying this about Edwards, basically saying this is what Edwards is saying in his sermon. Quote, the number one trial or difficulty is prosperity. The greatest trouble is to have no trouble. The greatest spiritual trial is to have no trial. The greatest spiritual struggle is to have no struggle. That's what James is saying. The rich man's just going to fade away because he doesn't fade, because he is protecting his heart. He is living under the illusion that his money will save him, and it will actually kill him in the end. St. Bernard put it like this, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. James put it like this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What are you tethering your heart to? If it's money, it's going to fade away. If it's the hope of a new car, it's going to fade away. If it's this spouse or children or whatever, it's going to fade away. What are you tethering your heart to? You see, this is why you want to hope in Jesus. Because when everything falls away for the Christian and he, he is holding on to Jesus, he still has the most important, he has the way, truth, and life in his hands. But when the unbeliever perishes and starts fading away, when his life starts crumbling and he realizes that the things he trusted in are not delivering, then he has nothing but the false hope. And James says, wake up and see it right now. What is your functional trust? Jesus said it. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm your hope. 
not the world. What are you trusting? So it's not money. It's not prosperity. But it's also not blaming God. And this is where many of us go in the midst of suffering. And yet James tells us this in verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, it's interesting because um, the, the, the Greek word for trials is the same Greek word that we translate temptation in this passage. He's using the same Greek word for trials and temptations because temptation is a trial per se. And so what, what he's saying is, is that the, 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 the temptation and the trial in our lives when we are facing hard times, um, we have these uber desires that are either going to kill us, end in death, or save us. And that is a huge part. I mean, this is what God is doing for me. This is what God is doing for all of us in the midst of our trials. He is shaking. He is hitting our fingers. He is making us let go of the things that we naturally hold on to, these uber desires. Oh, but if I just have this. Oh, you know, if my parents had just saved better for retirement. If they had just predicted that, oh, I want both hands on that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not life. I'm life. Isn't that beautiful? It's painful as everything. <laughs> but isn't it beautiful? Because all we get, no matter what the trial, is more of Jesus. All we get, that we have nothing to fear. Because no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to those that we love, are we going to find it joy of what happens to us or them? Of course not. But, oh, through the tears and through the grief, what's really going to happen? He is going to be producing in us a desire for Him as we let go of the desire for other things that will simply numb us and distract us from Him. That's what the comforts of the world are. They're distractions. They're a little bit more than that, too, and we'll end with that. Fourthly and finally, the wise man knows his trials are going somewhere. I love the Olympics. Love the Summer Olympics because I'm a track junkie. I love track. It's the best sport ever because it's, so, it's just so pure. You get on the line, the gun goes off, and you've got a finish line. And you can't blame anybody. I mean, I guess somebody can trip you or whatever, but come on. You know, you, you can't blame anybody. It's just you and the finish line. And that is what you're after. You know, I think about Simone Biles, too, in gymnastics. I mean, she didn't train for the Olympics because she loves training. She loves the grueling practice of 8 to 10 hours a day. No, she did it. And what, what do they say in all the interviews? I've trained my whole life for what? This moment. It's the finish line. That's what... James is saying, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Oh, there is a love fest at the end of this race. There is glory at the end of this race, and his name is Jesus. 
There is something to live for. There is something to, to um, turn your desires away from that, that you might have him. It, it, there, there is one that we can turn to and desire more than anything else. And those desires will utterly be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we will have life and we will have it to the full. And all this world will fade away and we will not be governed or um, discouraged by any of it. One day in his presence, the first kiss from Jesus on our cheek will wipe away 500 years of suffering. If Jesus is really your prize. But he doesn't just leave us there. I love 16 and 17. I love this as wisdom literature. It's going all over the place. He says this, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. It's exactly what Sergi said. Did you wake up this morning? Praise God. In the midst of your trials, there's always something to thank God for. Do you have breath in your lungs? Praise God. Do you have a job? Praise God. Did you eat breakfast? Praise God. Did you not eat breakfast? Praise God. Because you're surrounded by about 170 people that if you're hungry, I guarantee you they'll buy you breakfast this morning. There's always something to give God praise for because every good gift is not random. The good gifts that we have, the clothes on our back, everything comes from Him. And in the midst of no matter what we're facing, we can look at these things and know they're all coming from the Father of lights because He loves us. He's not in forgotten us. Think about the things you do have, not the things you don't have. Think about the blessings God has given you, not the blessings God you want God to give you. Contemplate on his goodness. Understand his love for you as expressed in even the smallest things in life and know that he is walking with you and he's in you. And one day there's a crown of life awaiting you. Is that your hope this morning? If it is, then make it stronger. If it's not, would you come to Jesus? Because this is what Jesus offers. Hope, purpose in the midst of trials. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your glory. We give our hearts to you. We thank you that no matter what the news might say when we get out of this place today, no matter what happens to us or to those we love or to this world that we're concerned about, We know that you reign and nothing's knocking you off the throne. Oh God, we thank you that there is purpose, that indeed you're working all things for the good of those who love you according to the purpose of conforming us into the very image of Jesus. Give us more of Jesus, oh God. Give us more of Jesus. I pray that we would be satisfied with him this morning. Make it real. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together and let's receive the benediction as we go out today and hope that no matter what we face um, the Lord Jesus is with us more than we can possibly imagine the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord be gracious to you the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace go in peace dear friend